Welcome to the CDW Gets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Marquez, an education strategist for CDWG. Today, CDW Gets the CARES Act. What is the CARES Act? How can we receive our funding for the CARES Act? And what can this funding be utilized on? Today, we have an expert in the room named Curtis Strodemeyer, another CDWG education strategist. Curtis, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks, Joe. My name is Curtis Strudelmeyer. I'm an education strategist with CDWG. Uh, I mainly cover the East Coast, Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina, that territory, but I do work across the country on items that are federal and legislative. Um, so that's where my background in CARES comes in. As far as my own personal background, I was a school superintendent for six years prior to joining CDWG two years ago. I was a director of technology for 10 years, and prior to that, I was an instructional trainer for schools, and I was also a school teacher. So I've been in education for about 25 years now. Um, last six, eight years, really focused around legislation, funding, and items that affect schools and school districts. Excellent. So and it sounds like, and I know, I know personally that, you, that you've dived in deep to what CARES is and what it means for education. But I want to make sure that we're hitting all facets of educators out there. So um, we would love to hear what is this CARES Act? Uh, what is it and, and, and what, what makes it up? Sure. So CARES Act, you may remember way back at the end of March, so it was like March 27th or so, the House and Senate and the President all got together and they, they signed a bill for a little over $2 trillion. And that $2 trillion included everything from um, unemployment insurance to loans to state and local government to uh, business loans. It had all those different components built into it. But what was also built into it was almost $31 billion for K-12 and higher education. So um, CARES actually represents the whole bill. And within that CARES bill, there are actually parts dedicated to just K-12 and higher ed. The K-12 higher ed portion is broken into four different areas. Since this is more of a K-12 discussion, we'll just focus on the three that are K-12. Um, there's what's called the Governor Emergency Education Relief Fund. There's the uh, Elementary School Secondary Education Relief Fund. And there's what uh, these other grants just released recently by the DOE that are more targeted grants for items that the, at the state level can do for things like uh, micro grants to students and for uh, making changes to instruction. So there's three different grants. The main one that schools will talk mostly about is called um, ESSER, Elementary Secondary School Education Relief Fund. That's the one that the schools are getting all the money from. We can talk about the other two, but that's probably the one that's most important to schools right now. Yeah, and so, so this is the one that, that states um, applied to the federal government for, and many of them got accepted, and now the, um, the state education agencies are going to be doling those out. So the question a lot of our states are wondering is how, how is their allotment of the, the ESSER funds uh, going to be decided on, on? How is it going to be distributed to the LEAs? And, and how are those funds uh, decided upon? Sure. So um, there's roughly $13 billion set aside for each state, uh, like total. It's not, I wish each state was getting 13.2, but no, total-wise. And so what it's broken down was each state, percentage of the 13.2 billion they're receiving, is the same percentage of funding they receive for Title I. So um, if a state received 5% of the federal Title I fund amount, they're going to receive 5% of the CARE fund amount. So it really, it, it's very corresponding to how Title I-A, 1A works. That's how it's broken down for the state. From a school level or district level, it's following basically the same formula. So once the state receives their funds, let's just say um, you got a, you're California, you received a billion dollars. Um, that's just a round of number, but it doesn't say it's a billion dollars. 
the state can then say, okay, we're going to keep 10% of that. So the state says, okay, we're going to keep $100 million back. This other $900 million, we're going to distribute down to the school districts. The school district distribution in ESSER is based on the amount of Title I funds that school district receives. So if the school district receives 5% of the state's allocation of Title I funds, they're going to receive 5% of the CARES funds. So everything is based on that Title I-A amount percentage, and that's how it works. So the, the state gets their percentage of federal funds based on Title I, and then the districts get their percentage of the uh, state amount on Title I. What we've been telling districts is you can roughly assume 75 to 80% of what you receive in the Title I funds is probably pretty close to what you're going to receive in CARES funds. Maybe a little higher, maybe a little lower, but that's a pretty good estimate amount to utilize. Now, if an LEA or local education agency didn't receive any Title I Part A funds in 2019, are they still eligible to receive the ESSER formula funds uh, of the CARES Act? So that's kind of a two-part question, though. So if you were eligible to receive Title I funds, but you chose not to take them for some reason, you would still be eligible to receive CARES funds. If you were never eligible to receive Title I funds, then you would not be eligible to receive CARES funds. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of school districts that'll, you know, um, get their Title I funds and then maybe, you know, they distribute them out. But there's also been districts or even private schools that say, you know, we're eligible for Title I, but we don't want it. So if, as long as you're eligible, you're still eligible for CARES. If you're never eligible for Title I, you're not eligible for CARES. Excellent. And, and thank you so much for clearing that up because we, we've heard a lot of LEAs ask that question who said, well, we, we did, um, uh, we, we were eligible for title funds, but we didn't take them. Do we still get CARES? And I'm glad you were able to say yes to that because we do have some schools asking about that. Um, another thing that our local education agencies across the United States are asking is what do they have to do to get access to these funds? And, and this is probably a question that's going to be different upon um, the, the way the states are handling it. But in general, um, what is it said that the LEAs must do in order to gain access to these funds? So you're correct. Every state's going to be a little different. Really, though, it's, it's going to be an application process for each school district. It's not a competitive grant. So there is no, hey, we really need this money for this reason or really bad things are going to happen. It is more like the state reaching down and saying, here's the amount you're allocated. How do you plan on using these funds? And so the school district might come through and say, you know, we're going to do these things. Now, there's 12 different areas where ESSER funds can be spent. So, you know, it, and we're, we're focused on the educational technology portion of it. But there's also things like um, sanitation and cleaning. There's also things like if it's paid for, if you can do it with anything that can, you can do with title funds, you can do with CARES funds. So all those things, kind of, it's a very broad range. But the state's going to say, well, how do you plan on using this money? How do you plan on distributing it? And then the, the school district will have to sit down, sit down and say, this is what our plan is. You know, and not real lot of detail. It doesn't have to be that detailed, but they do have to at least show the state this is how we plan on spending the money because the state ultimately has to sign off on it. The state can't use their money, can't use the district's money, but they will be the alter, you know, the ultimate situation to say yes, this is an okay usage of the money. So that's part of that. What I've seen a lot of states are doing is, you know, for example, in Indiana and Virginia and some of the districts I work with, there is a, you know, they, each state has their own grant process where schools do their Title I or do their Title II or do other, you know, IDA grants. Wherever they do that, they basically just added another hyperlink to this grant. So it's all very similar process. So um, I can't speak for every state, but I would say whatever you're currently doing for your title grants, you'll do something very similar for your CARES fund. Now, you mentioned a little bit on what these funds can be spent on. Is there something that they absolutely can't 
be spent on? Like, for example, can they use these funds to purchase devices that have already been planned to be purchased for like device refreshes that, that were part of their uh, refurbishing cycle? Yeah, and I would say I would not say that's something you can spend it on. What you can do is if it's new technology, you know, you're planning on adding more machines, definitely go ahead. Um, anything you purchased after March 13th, it's good to go as long as you can tie it back to COVID. But if you're on a four-year cycle and this is year four and you're going to replace a quarter of your machines anyway, and you've already budgeted for it, you know, and you can, I would not use CARES funds for that. Uh, that's something I think the government will have an issue with. You know, they, they want to make sure that the funds are being spent on items that are new. You know, you, you know for example, um, you know, we, we had to go out and buy, you know, some webcams or we had to go out and buy access points or, um, you know, we did, we did the professional development for uh, distance learning. All those things were new things that you hadn't already planned to do, but you had to now. That's how they want to do it. There's also, you know, um, summer school. You know, the, you might have been offering summer school, but maybe you're offering more because you have more students have to attend. You could use the CARES funds for that extra summer school. There's other things you can do it, but it needs to be shown more like an addition than a replacement for what you already were planning on spending on. There is no – a lot of times with federal grants, there is a supplement versus supplant issue. That's not true with this, but from the flip side of it is do want to make it very clear that the, the expectation from the government is this is for new stuff in a, to address COVID or distance learning and not just something you always had planned to begin with. Excellent. And, and so once, once the LEA, um, you know, t tells their uh, state education agency, okay, we plan on using these funds for this purpose. We, here's our application. We, we would like our funds. Is there a timeline where the state agency has to distribute the funds? Um, is it there like a 24 hour mark or, or it, what is the timeline for that distribution? So every state is required to apply for their funds by July 1st of uh, this year, by 2020. So every state has to apply by that point. The states actually, and then the federal government said, we will have that grant turned around for you within three business days. So the feds are saying, we'll get this back to you very quickly. The state, though, has up to 12 months from the time their grant's been approved, the time they have to distribute the money. So technically, you know, I could, as a state, I could put my application on June 30th and not have to, of 2020, and not have to distribute the funds to June 29th of 2021. They have that type of gap. Now, I can't imagine states doing it. Uh, I can imagine some states maybe slow to walk in a little bit because there's still some confusion over um, some things at the federal level, but I don't foresee there being that type of long wait. Now, like I mentioned earlier, the nice thing is reimbursement back to March 13th of 2020, so you're good there. And as far as extending the funds, you have until September 30th of 2022. So um, while you know the state could take its time, ultimately you'll have the funding to help offset costs you already have or you have plenty of time going forward to pay for things going forward. Excellent, and, and so I just wanna recap real quickly that, that answer for those who are listening. So you said that the funds that the LEA receives can be backdated to, to which date? March 13th of 2020. March 13th of 2020. That was the date that the National Federal Emergency was stated. That's why it goes back to that date. Excellent. And, and we all know that that date is ingrained into the, into the minds of many of our um, uh, districts uh, around the United States. Um, and, so, and then what did you say was the last date that they would be able to spend these funds? Yeah, September 30th of 2022. Okay, and, and, that's, and that's really great to know because we, we, want, we want school districts to know that they don't have to spend all of it as quickly as possible. They do have time. To, to think about what they're going to use it for. And they have, you know, up until that September 30th of 2022 to be able to make those decisions. 
definitely. And one of the things too is, you know, I, I don't want people to think this is just a hardware software type of situation or connectivity. You know, like we mentioned, you can use it for summer school, professional development. So if you're looking for planning or you say, hey, we want to do, we want to put some aside this year for professional development and some next year aside for professional development, you can do that. You know, you have time to, to, to build a plan around it and how you utilize those funds. So while it's nice to think, hey, I'm going to buy a bunch of stuff right now, I, I think it's very smart, like you were saying, to say, what's it look like this year? What's it going to look like? How am I going to have something ready for next fall? You know, and just have that ability to, to, to spend it wisely instead of being in a hurry. And, and we all know, um, you know, devices and, and infrastructure and Wi-Fi are incredibly important, but these funds can also be spent on sanitization needs as well, correct? Correct. Sanitation is definitely one of them. Um, we're seeing schools, you know, purchase stuff to clean their keyboards, clean their devices, uh, UV lighting, you know, it's supposed to kill viruses. So there's some discussion whether or not, you know, that's something to be acceptable uh, cost. The very first statement in the, of the 12 is says, if you can pay for it with ESSA funds, so Title I, Title II, Title III, Title IV, um, things like uh, IDA, Perkins, McVinty um, Vento, which is a homeless, you can pay for that with CARES funds. So it really opens up a lot of things. Now, I want to step back too and just make sure I make this clear because there's always a question around Title One in the CARES fund. Just because you, you, you don't have to put your CARES funds on the same school that use your Title One funds. CARES aren't limited to the same restrictions as Title One. So CARES, the only, reason, the only tie to Title One within CARES is that's how the money amounts are being distributed and figured out. There is no of those restrictions that go along with Title One, so I, I just want to make sure that's very clear. I don't want people thinking that there those restrictions aren't cares as well because they're not. And and that's absolutely very important to know because you know we, we want to make sure districts understand that these funds can be spread throughout the entirety of the district and and not just on schools that meet those Title One requirements. Correct. Exactly right. There's actually a lot of flexibility that they tied into the, a lot of waivers that the USDOE put in. So uh, Title One, Title Two funds can now be transferred to Title Four. If you want to do that, uh, Title IV is, is normally SEL, but it was also you can purchase hardware out of there. And that 15% cap on hardware is removed. So a lot of people, you know, if you want to transfer from one and one or two to, to four, you can do that to buy more hardware. Um, that's flexibility. Title I funds for a school can now be spent on funds outside of the Title I school. So to give them that flexibility. So there's different things that are happening here that um, are beyond just, uh, just the ESSER money, but are tied to the whole CARES Act that uh, gives a lot of flexibility to schools. And I'm glad you mentioned that because in, in California, the uh, state education agency actually applied for those waivers and, they, and then they were granted for Title I, Title II, Title III, Title IV. So definitely listeners, take a look and see if your state has applied and received those waivers because then, then you can have a little bit more flexibility, not only on the funding, um, but also on the date that that funding has to be, uh, to be purchased because the date for the use of those funds actually has been extended for those states who have received that flexibility. That's a great point. Joe, I should have mentioned that. Yes. Should our LEA, should our local education agencies, when, once they receive the funds, should they anticipate any monitoring or auditing of these funds on how they've been spent, like by the state education agency or by the federal DOE? So once they receive the funds, do, do they have to track and, and write down everything they've purchased with those funds? Um, or is it like you've received the money and we, you, you've said you're going to use it for the purposes, so we trust you? Uh, I, I would, you know, what's the framework for trust to verify? I would say that's mostly what SDAs will be doing. They'll trust, you know, you know, the school district going to say, this is how we're going to spend the money. The state, we're going to sign off on it. But ultimately, you know, there will be some level of auditing on school districts. I don't know if it'll be as complex as or as complete as, you know, regular auditing processes. But they'll, they'll come back and say, hey, did you spend it where you needed to? One of the things I recommend if you're going to purchase something is try to just, even though I don't think it's required by the law, 
but something that I would just put in the back of my head is to follow the, you know, the, the federal process of what can be purchased and what you need to purchase it. So, for example, you know, between zero and ten thousand dollars, you know, maybe it just requires a, 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 a website printout to show that, you know, you got a pricing and this is where you got the pricing from between like ten and a quarter million. Maybe you get multiple. You know, you don't necessarily have to go through the whole RP process, but if you can show you got multiple quotes, it'd be good because you're going to be at least to show document. Maybe this is where we went and this is why we spent this much and that it was the right amount. Because last thing you want to come back and say, you know, have the state come back and say, why did you spend $500 per Chromebook when everybody's spending 250 or 200 or whatever it was? And you need to be able to show that. So I would keep it, if I was keeping my documentation, I would make sure I would show all my quotes, where I got them from. I would hold on to that. Any PO I would sign, um, I would make sure it somehow labeled as specific to COVID and CARES and keep track of it that way. And that way, at least you have the documentation. Again, I don't think it's, you know, it's not going to be that fine tooth comb, but I at least want to be able to show that I followed the processes and I made sure I made a good faith effort in making sure I spent the money wisely and how I said I would. So, so what you're saying is it's better to be proactive and, and make sure you are documenting in the case of being asked to showcase that than having to um, backtrack everything um, when that date occurs, correct? Definitely, 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 yes. So, so at the very beginning um, of, of this discussion, you talked about that the, the CARES funding for education was split into three parts, the governor's fund, the ESSER funds. What was the third funding that you were referring to? And can we expect more money from that third fund to be coming to our K-12 institutions? Sure. So I, I didn't go very much detailed in the first one, which is the governor's emergency relief fund. And that's because it's not much money. And that's not just K-12, it's K-12 and higher ed. That funding is always going to be available, but that will be more as a competitive grant at the state level. The other one I haven't mentioned is called the Education Stabilization Fund. And this is broken down into two parts. There's $180 million for Rethink K-12 Education. And that's the one that will focus more on micro-grant on uh, distance learning. So, for example, um, what they're trying to help states set up there are programs where maybe a school can't offer a certain class, or maybe it's advanced physics. And you just don't have an advanced physics teacher. But the state says, okay, we're going to work together with other districts and create an online version of advanced physics so your students can still have access to it. So that's part of that grant opportunity. And a third part is a rethinking education portion of it. So being creative, something we had not yet thought about, some creative use of funds. So that's what that $180 million for. Each state will apply for that individually to the USDOE, and that's expected to be a competitive grant. So it's not really easy to say California's going to get $50 million of that and Indiana's going to get $20 million. I can't really say that. It'll be more along the lines of, as a state, these are the things we're going to do here to hit these items, and we think it's going to take us $50 million to do it. And then the feds can say, okay, well, you, we're going to sign off on your grant or not sign off your grant. So that's a much more limited amount of money. The other $127 uh, of that grant is for students who have graduated high school but haven't started a four-year or two-year college. So it's kind of like that preparatory beyond CTE, but the idea of vocational type of workforce readiness type of grant. So that's what the remaining funds will be as far as that money goes. But a bulk of your money is going to become the, from the ESSER portion of it. Excellent. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that just because, you know, we, we do have questions out there of, is there more money? They, people have been here and there are three parts to this, uh, this, these K-12 funds. So I'm glad you were able to break those down. And, and to reemphasize that the, the ESSER funds are the funds that will uh, be uh, providing the majority um, of the funding to the districts for um, the, the, these events, correct? Correct. Yeah. So um, I don't have California's in front of me, but I, I feel like it's a little over a billion dollars. And so I know they're getting a pretty good share. Excellent. And, and, and one last thing. And, and you know, I, I, I'm not saying you are a prognosticator or you can't tell the future, but <laughs> is, there, is, there, is there any more funding 
um, looking like it's going to be coming down the pipe from, from Congress uh, for K-12 education, because we, we do know that a lot of districts are, are, are worrying about uh, funding um, um, and, and, and how they're going to be able to um, you know, cover the gap uh, between the, the funding that's being taken away um, and, and what they need to do um, uh, to return to school. Is there anything we can look forward to in that fashion? Anything coming down the pipe? Well, so last week, the House passed what's called the HEROES Act. It's roughly another $3 trillion, much like the CARES Act. And a portion of that was for um, K-12. Uh, I think it was rough, approximately another $100 billion. And then there was a large portion put aside for state and local funding, because we know most schools receive their funding from the state level. And so the concept was to get more money to the state so they could be made whole so the schools get the amount of money. So that, that was definitely there. Um, that's in the House. It passed out of the House. It's not going anywhere in the Senate. It, it looks like it's not. It's pretty much dead on arrival. I think we'll see something come through maybe in June, uh, mid-June. That's probably have right now, honestly, from the K-12 standpoint, is not all the K-12 money has been allocated. Not every state has requested their CARES funds yet for the ESSER portion. And even fewer have actually requested their governor's portion. So it's kind of difficult to make an argument for needing for more funding until at least all the fund, current funding has been applied for. So I, I do think long-term we'll see something. I think we'll see more coming from the state local level for sure. And the one thing to look back at is ARA. And that was a 2009 during the Great Recession was called ARA. Um, that was roughly $100 billion that was allocated for schools. So that same amount of funding is probably a good target amount for this. Even though we expect this to be worse uh, overall from a financial standpoint, that's something that definitely will use as a benchmark. So short an long answer, short question, but let me get down to the short answer. Yes, something will be coming down the pipe. I don't expect to see it until probably June or July at the earliest. But again, I don't know if it'll make schools whole, and I don't know if we'll have this type of component where they really encourage spending on things like those 12 items. But I do expect some sort of funding to help school districts make sure they're ready to go. What we know is it's going to, it's going to cost a lot of money to open schools in the fall. And so I think there will be more money coming. Absolutely. And, and we're going to know much more, you know, in the future and as schools start to decide how they will be reopening. And, you know, whether it's the, the HEROES Act that Congress passed or something else, I do look forward to you doing lots of research to be able to help um, our districts and school administrators navigate how this funding can be allotted to them and how it can be utilized to enhance the educational opportunities for all of our students that we have in our educational system. Yeah, we, the key thing is to make sure we really impact the students. That's, the, that's you know, at the end of the day, we're here for kids and that's to make sure we get the funding to where it belongs. A absolutely. And, and you know, the, the act is called CARES and we care about our students and that's exactly how these funds need to be to be utilized. So Curtis, thank you so much for taking the time today to explain um, this, um, this important topic and explain how these funds can be distributed. And, and I do know that many of our LEAs out there who are listening um, will find this information extremely beneficial. So thank you once again for being a part of this podcast. Thank you, Joe. I really enjoyed it. Again, that was Curtis Trottemeyer, CARES expert and CDWG education strategist. If you need any more information on the CARES Act, please feel free to reach out to your account manager or field account executive to get a hold of one of your education strategists. The complete list of all the education strategists around the United States for CDWG have been provided for you in the show notes. Thank you again for listening to CDW Gets, a podcast from CDWG. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, don't forget, it always seems impossible until it's done. I'm Joe Marquez, and it's been a pleasure learning with you today.